With their cameras and recorders in tow, our editors are revisiting their hometowns with one question in mind. Does this still feel like home? I'm Natalie Nascence, Digital Content Editor at Successful Farming. Support for the Successful Farming Podcast comes from... Get the latest ag news, markets, weather, and more when you sign up for today's news from Successful Farming. Register at agriculture.com newsletter for today's news. The free Successful Farming e-newsletter. Once a day, you'll get an email packed with relevant news hitting the ag industry online and around the nation, along with the three big things happening today. Visit agriculture.com newsletter to subscribe to today's news from Successful Farming. Gil Gullickson stands outside a rural South Dakota high school, eyeing the entrance with anticipation and a touch of angst. Nearly 40 years after graduating from Langford Area School, Gil hasn't returned to cheer for the basketball team or to take in a musical. Gil is in Marshall County, South Dakota, on assignment. With each step closer to the door, Gil teeters between feeling at home and yet strangely out of place. This is his hometown, after all. But after 14 years in central Iowa as the crops technology editor for Successful Farming, his youth in northeast South Dakota seems as if it were a lifetime ago. Well, sometimes it feels like 400 years since I've graduated, other times just four years, sometimes four months, or even four days. This is Gil Gullickson, crops technology editor for Successful Farming. The gravel parking lot crunches under his feet as he approaches the brick entryway. As he reaches for the heavy front door, a familiar face comes to mind, and Gil immediately feels more at ease. Well, I thought about Mr. Wadier, and I could just write a book about that guy. He was the superintendent when I was in school, and he was sharp. You know, He was the kind of guy you could imagine being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. But I always thought that he just must have really liked small-town life and thought Langford was a good place to raise his family. I remember him cheerfully whistling through the hallways, and sometimes when I worked at the schoolhouse in the summer, he'd occasionally challenge me and some other workmates to a game of horse. And we never stood a chance on the basketball court. He'd always beat us. Uh, But I just have really good memories of Mr. Wadier and growing up around Langford. All the neighbors and all the children and all, it was just such a wonderful place to live. We just loved it and we just didn't ever want to leave. That's Leona Wadier, the late superintendent's wife. She admits when the couple originally moved back to Lankford years ago, their original plan was only to stay for five years. Obviously, they stayed much longer. However, recent headlines featuring Lankford highlight tension surrounding the Keystone Pipeline. Media reports portray rural America as a place of drug abuse, limited economic opportunity, and farm consolidation. In Marshall County, the number of farms dropped by more than 500 between 1954 and USDA's 2012 Census of Agriculture. As I drive around the countryside, there sure are a lot fewer farmstead compared to when I was a kid. 2016 census data shows 11% of all Marshall County residents live in poverty. The median household income for the area reported in the same year was $54,019. Oh, you hear a lot about uh, negative things in rural America, including the area I grew up in. Uh, uh, You know, I look back growing up and there's a lot of people up there who had the impact on the person I've become. And I was thinking, surely these negative headlines can't be the whole story. 
That desire to see his hometown through a different perspective is Gil's motivation to take that first awkward step through the doors of Langford High. I don't know if kids have changed as much as the world has changed. The world they live in is just so different than 20 years ago. This is Mr. Monty Nip. He's been the superintendent at Langford Schools for the past 18 years. I, I think that what we're seeing is kids just are more worldly. They're able to instantly access all kinds of information. And that's good, and it can be bad. Mr. Nip and Gill walked to the gym to continue talking about his observations of the community. Winding their way through the school building, Gill's mind wanders, keeping an eye out for evidence of the rumored ghost resident. We'll get to that later. Mr. Nip says on top of having Facebook and Snapchat, Twitter and Instagram at their fingertips, there's been another interesting shift in the students during his career. The other thing that I think I see in our students nowadays is the responsibilities that they're taking on. I know when I was in high school, I went to high school. I was in athletics. I was in different activities at school. And nowadays we have high school students who are working like 30 hours a week. And we try to go to them and say, you know what, you've got your whole world, your whole life to work, you know. Most students aren't working for the latest Apple Watch or Xbox, Mr. Nip says. And they come from a single parent family where I got a car, I got a car payment, I've got car insurance, I've got to buy gas for my car. And I guess that's a change that is just sort of sad because high school kids, a 16 year old, it's just sad that they're working 30 hours a week just to kind of try to help pay the bills and, and make ends meet. Gil stands quietly for a moment, the buzzing of the gymnasium lights overpowering the silence. He can't help but ask. So the ghost of Mr. Feebleford, true or false? Mr. Nip answers confidently. True. Mr. Feeblecorn was a teacher and coach at Langford High years ago. People say his ghost has taken up residence in the school. Back in his time, the gym in the old school building was his domain. People said that he owned it. You asked if you wanted to use the gym. That old gym was torn down with the rest of the high school in 2001. People are telling me that his ghost was in that little gym in that old high school and that when I tore it down that now his ghost is looking, it is searching through the Langford School because it has nowhere to go because I tore down his little gym. <laughs> Nobody's really seen him, but his evidence of being in the building is still here. Many staff members bear witness to the ghost's antics. Mr. Nip recalls his own encounter with a smile. I was printing off some things to a printer in the lunchroom. And I printed it, and I went in there, and there was nothing there. And I thought, oh, geez, technology, I must not have printed it. So I went back to the computer, printed it again, and when I came back, not only was my second printing in the computer, but the first printing was laying beside it, and it was not there before. According to Mr. Nip, this was no technology glitch. I just looked down that south hallway and said, Feeble corn. <laughs> we'll be back for more of Gil Gullickson's hometown story after this short break. Are you looking for new advanced technology for your farm operation? Need some advice on managing your farm or tips on finding the best machinery prices? You'll find all this and more in Successful Farming Magazine. 
Subscriptions are available online at agriculture.com. Visit agriculture.com and complete your subscription to Successful Farming Magazine today. Welcome back. I'm Natalina Sense, Digital Content Editor for Successful Farming. You're listening to the Successful Farming Podcast. In this episode, we're visiting the hometown of Crops Technology Editor, Gil Gullickson. As you listen to the rest of this episode, you may notice the clickety-clack of Gil's famous flying fingers. That's him taking notes for an article he wrote about his hometown. I'll tell you more about that later. For now, let's get back to the story. Well, we all hear about many negative things in rural America, the opiate crisis, farm consolidation, on and on. And I was curious to go back to the area where I grew up to see if the American dream in rural America was still alive. After confirming the ghost stories, Gil heads about two blocks over to Main Street. He visits someone else in town who spent plenty of time in the high school's gym and is a little easier to chat with than a ghost. I just, well, I received 25-year recognition for refing 25 years, but actually I've uh, officiated now. I'll be starting my 32nd year um, of officiating high school sports. This is David Plantine. He went to high school with Gil. Like many people in rural America, he wears several hats in the Langford community. In addition to officiating sporting events, David is also the school board chairman. And you know, David is a familiar face in the business community. I always kind of knew I wanted to come back and and farm and everything, and my dad had the foresight to say, um, you know, if you're going to come back farm, still go out and get an education because they can't take that away from you. They can take the farming away from you, but they can't, they can't take your education away. And David works as a loan officer and sells crop insurance at First State Bank in Langford. There, he works closely with farmers, and David also farms himself. Went to college, graduated from SDSU. Um, after graduation, I went back to the farm and started farming. Um, and when I got married and everything, our farm was not big enough to support two families, so I went and sought another career. For reference, according to the 1987 USDA Census of Agriculture, the average Marshall County farm was 898 acres. About 58% of farms in the area had sales of less than $50,000 in value. That's when David landed in banking. Between farming, working at the bank, and being so involved in the community, David has seen a lot. He has a good pulse on what has happened in Langford over the years. As a school board member, he doesn't necessarily spend much time in the classroom, but David knows there have been radical changes in the education system since his time as a student. There's no typewriters. (laughs) Like Mr. Nip, David sees the way technology has dramatically changed life for kids these days. Our high school kids have laptops, um, so, you know, they can, you know, put their assignments on their laptops, hand them in that way to the teacher, and you don't really have to worry about, you know, the proverbial, how the old saying went, the dog ate my homework. (laughs) Fun fact, 2017 Census Bureau data shows 84% of Marshall County households have a computer, and 73% have a broadband internet subscription. 
Since these sort of questions weren't asked 30 years ago, I'm going to go ahead and say the evidence seems consistent with these guys' story. But no matter how much technology has allowed life to change, some things about life in small-town USA remain the same. Outside of academics, the local school plays a central part in the community for other reasons, too. High school sports is a social event. You know, that's what people do for entertainment in the wintertime. They'll come to basketball games. I mean, you see people who have no kids, no grandkids or anything like that. They come to basketball games. And these people aren't just coming for the game. Usually a lot of times, too, now they, they have uh, fundraisers for suppers for fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And so people come have supper and then go to the game and, and uh, that's their evening. So that's their Friday night. Gil and David share a few laughs, reminiscing about their own high school experiences, classmates, and entertainment. Thank goodness there wasn't any social media in our days. Amen to that. (laughs) David credits the community's strong backbone of faith with keeping too much from getting out of hand. We know that this, I mean, you growing up here too and everything, just know that I think with this community, you know, the church is pretty strong. That's one of the key elements of having a strong community, I think, is having, you know, strong, you know, churches. A quick Google search reveals at least four churches with a Langford address. David says some of the churches in the area share a pastor. A is, you know, as the population shrinks, you know, our congregations get smaller, so it's hard to afford, you know, a pastor on your own. And B, there's just not many pastors, not people getting into that profession. He says just like other aspects of small towns, the churches have to adapt and change in order to survive. Along with the churches, the school has been adapting too. The school is adding on a band room, wellness center, and multi-purpose room. David explained the multi-purpose room will be used as a gym and the wellness center will be shared with the community. Those shared resources and the relatively steady student population compared to other nearby communities helped rally the support needed to pass the bond issue to make the addition happen. 20 years ago, we had 230 in the high school or in the school. 20 years later, we were at 205. Britain was at 600 20 years ago. They're down to 300. You know, so we've pretty much been stable, and Britain's now, you know, half the size. Britain is the county seat of Marshall County, and about 16 and a half miles north of Langford. To me, that all seems like good news, and sounds like Langford is holding its own. David says as long as commodity prices rebound, things are looking up for young people in agriculture, too. We've got a pretty strong core of young people coming back to farms. Gil can hear the excitement in David's voice as he rattles off the names of several local families who've welcomed the next generation back to the farm, at least part-time. Despite the hope that young people bring to Langford, David doubts it is enough to spur much change on Main Street. People are willing to drive for more diverse shopping and entertainment options. I don't think, you know, we have, we have enough people to support a grocery store. You know, everybody's so mobile now. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think anything of it to drive to Aberdeen, you know, which is, you know, 45 minutes drive. You know, back in our day, you needed a, you know, emergency to drive that far. Todd Sell is the mayor of Langford. He sees the same thing. 
people drive from town to town. Now, you know, there's only 300 in town, but then with all the incoming towns, Roslyn, Bristol, Claremont, and Tupac, so we get a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. so I think that's going to help maintain our local businesses that we do have. After packing up his computer bag at the bank, Gil heads to grab a bite to eat with Todd. You know, John Eichert is a retired agricultural economist from the University of Missouri. He's basically said a positive rural future hinges on rural residents taking the future into their own hands and working together for their community's common good. Gill is encouraged as he talks to more people along Main Street that seem to be doing just that. We did a sewer project two years ago. That's Todd. Over lunch at the Front Porch Cafe, he shares details of several investments local citizens have made to keep up the community. He knew everybody and kept track of everybody. As other locals chatter in the background, Gil and Todd fondly remember the leading and caretaking personalities of the town over the years. There have been so many people who step up and take ownership of something in the community or take responsibility for a need they see, not because they have a certain title or job, but that's just their contribution to what it takes to keep a small community growing. Todd remarks how many of the pillar personalities in town have been World War II veterans. They're cut from the same cloth that's just not made anymore. 2017 census data shows just shy of 300 veterans call Marshall County home. That includes Bruce Lickness. Born and raised here, I graduated high school in 58 and went to Northern State University for graduated and then we decided it was time maybe to fulfill our obligation before we got drafted in that Vietnam mess. That's Bruce. My family and Bruce's family did business together when I was growing up. You know, volunteered for the draft and we spent uh, 27 months in the Army on a special project. Got out in February of 65 and came back and got involved with my dad and my uncle in the, you know, the farm equipment business. From that time until his retirement nine years ago, Bruce and his family have been familiar faces to farmers in Marshall County. He's seen a lot of change in the industry over 45 years. Bruce vividly remembers how different farms looked when he first got into the business. Back in the well, 60s, you know, there was, God, there you have somebody had four or five quarters. You know, that was, they were pretty good sized farmers. Farms were more diverse, too. And everybody back then, in order to make a living, you know, you had, you had chickens, you had hogs, you had cattle, mm-hmm. you know, you had everything. And as farms got bigger over the years, so did machinery. Land prices went up, too. Bruce leans forward to explain. When I got out of the service, my granddad had two quarters south of town. And they tried to sell it. They died and, and they tried to sell that for uh, 125 bucks an acre. And they couldn't get any bids on it. Remember, this was about 1965. Bruce said his dad went out to another man in the area and basically begged him to buy the land. Well, he ended up buying it. And if I'd have been, I'd just gotten out of the service and, you know, whatever... And it's the dumbest damn thing I ever did is not, you know, arranging some kind of, you know, deal to buy that land. Well, I'll bet you that land, if it come up for sale now, it's probably $2,500 or $3,000, you know, an acre. Bruce's memories of the 80s farm economy haven't faded either. As interest rates skyrocketed, farmers that had taken on a lot of debt were in deep trouble. Several lost the farm. All around, it was such a troubling situation. Was it the bank's fault? Was there a share of blame for the government? How much was the farmer's fault? Gil leans back and asks Bruce's perspective. It just, it's a conundrum that I'm not sure there's a real answer for. You know, I really don't, you know, I mean, there's, everybody's got a, you know, kind of got a 
a little blame or whatever. There's a lot of it to go around. When the relief programs came with loan forgiveness and other resources for struggling farmers, many of the smaller operations still lost the farm. Politicians always talking about saving the family farm, you know, saving the family farm. Yeah, and they tried. But Bruce says it didn't work out that simply. You know, the bigger operations, when the programs were there, they were the ones that were getting all the money. You know, the little guy was, they weren't giving him $400,000 and giving the big operator, uh, you know, 100. It was, you know, proportionate to what they were, so the big guy just kept them get bigger. And if they were aggressive enough to go out, you know, and want to take on that, either that, you know, responsibility or whatever and manage it, it was an open season for him to kind of do that. It's clear Bruce is passionate about all of this. You know, I want to know if there's anything that could have been done to prevent all the loss and consolidation. I think it was just a transition that in, in business, everything was growing and prospering and whatever, but in expansion of, you know, the farm were getting bigger, people were getting older, and, and you know, all of a sudden, another generation you know, didn't have an interest in, you know, staying on the farm, whatever. There was other exciting opportunities out there, and and the kids left the farm, and, you know, I don't know how, you know, that anything, really anything could have hardly prevented what, what's really happened. Bruce says something that reminds Gil of his conversations with David and Todd. You know, the programs that came out, there was nothing in the damn programs that helped, the, you know, the, the small businessmen in, in some of these small towns. So while many of Bruce's farmer customers were getting assistance as they recovered from the 80s, his farm equipment business continued to suffer, he says. You know, if the farm got, you know, made money, Main Street made money. Well, tr transportation got better, and all of a sudden, you know, back then, you know, hardly anybody, you know, we all did business, you know, at home, you really home. Well, all of a sudden, you got the, you know, transportation, the roads got better, the cars got better, and we wanted more things in life, and so all of a sudden, it wasn't very, didn't take very long to get to Aberdeen. Gil and Bruce keep chatting for a while, debating if they really want to go back to the good old days. Farming without cabs sounds miserable now, and our standard of living really has improved since the 50s and 60s. When Bruce was selling equipment to farmers 10 years ago, he'd remind them, Your air conditioning rides nice and whatever, and you sit in there and the seats are better than the old seats in the automobile. And I said, your, <laughs> your wife's working harder doing housework and <laughs> doing dishes and doing you know the housework than, than you are sitting in that damn cowboy. And you know, maybe the mental strain is, is you know, tougher, but the physical labor thing has is, is gotten awful easy. But now Bruce is retired. He's a grandpa and great-grandpa. His kids are grown. They don't have anything to do with farm equipment. You know, everybody kind of wondered, you know, with the boys, you know, whether or not should have encouraged them, you know, to be in the, you know, in the business. Well, he, by the time they were kind of getting to that point of getting out of college, whatever, I guess, and I told them, I said, there's really there's more opportunities in the world than, than being in a, you know, in a small town in the implement business, really, you know. Sometimes Bruce questions his own advice. You know, maybe that wasn't, you know, wasn't the thing to kind of tell him or whatever, you know, but when you look at it now, whatever, they're so much better off than, than they would have been in that, you know, in the business, and especially in the small town. It is kind of sad, but it's also the truth for some places. With such a mobile society, you know, 300 people only need to buy so much stuff. That means they can only support so many businesses. You know, the small community 
groups, businesses, whatever they are. There's no future down the road, really, you know, to, to support a family now. You know, that kind of fits my own story. I mean, I grew up on a farm and I was good at identifying weeds and I liked planting crops and such, but I wasn't very good at fixing stuff. So, plus there wasn't enough farm to farm in my family. It was a very small farm. So I figured if I wanted to support myself and later on a family and my kids, I'd have to search for something else. And that's what caused me to go into agricultural journalism and eventually become an editor at Successful Farming. However, according to Paula Jensen, there are plenty of young people who see a future for themselves in the community. I work for a nonprofit called Dakota Resources, and I do community coaching with rural communities across South Dakota. Paula regularly visits high schools in the county to talk with students and gather their ideas for improving the region. So I always ask them the question, if you could come back home to our community, that's what we consider our community, that bigger radius. How many of you would? By bigger radius, Paula means Marshall County. The organization she works for isn't just specific to Langford necessarily. I would say easily 80% of them raise their hands. Wow, if 80% of every graduating class returned to Marshall County, that sure would change the area pretty quickly. I wonder what that would look like. So it's very interesting to me that kids want to return home mm -hmm. and um, parents have to stop telling them they need to go away. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's a new vision for rural and uh, I think that the young people are part of that. We just have to change our narrative a little bit. Gil asks Paula what made her want to stick around Marshall County. After a thoughtful pause, she brings up a book called Hollowing Out the Middle. So they basically define people as, you know, the straight A students that are told go away and never come back. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's really the losers mm -hmm. that stay, mm -hmm. right? She never felt like that, Paula says. It's not true. I never felt that way. Um, I, I'd always felt like I had a place here if I wanted to come back. She saw herself coming back to make a difference in the community. And Paula really is one of those people that has. She works in community development, and she and her husband own the service station in town. Family was an important part of the equation for Paula, too. And I always knew that if I had a family, I wanted to raise them near their grandparents and near their aunts and uncles, and that was just something I wanted to do. Gil now lives in West Des Moines, Iowa, but he still owns a bit of land back in Marshall County. Even though he no longer lives there, Gil says Langford will always be home. No matter where you grew up, you always still uh, have a lot of roots in where you grew up. Um, it's funny that one thing I do when I'm in a strange place trying to figure out directions is I'll think about on the farm we grew up, like what direction north was, and that was the 2-9 farm, or that's where Jordan Edith Hansen lived. Uh, going west, it was Gilbert and Leo and Bistadu and their farm, and to the south, it was the Fussell Brothers and Herb and Vita Sumberg. I just kind of position things that way, just using the farmsteads as a reference point. So. Things like that, they'll always stick with me throughout my life. When Gil is in Iowa, he keeps tabs on things up north via social media. I think one thing that really keeps me in touch these days is Facebook. You know, you, you really know what's going on just with the use of social media. But from time to time, Gil takes a road trip to see things for himself. You know, uh, I probably pass through about three to four times a year. I check on how the crops are doing, particularly in the 
growing season, and occasionally I'll work on a story up in that area. In contrast to the hustle and bustle, diversity, and bright lights of Des Moines, a few unique things stick out when Gil goes back to Marshall County. You know, one thing I really notice when I go up there is at night just how dark it is. I mean, there's no street lamps reflecting off uh, the city. Um, a lot of things have changed with the wildlife. When I grew up, there were hardly any coyotes along around. Now it, you can hear them regularly howl at night. As Gil approaches his hometown, familiar sights welcome him back. I used to do a lot of hunting. I don't really do that much anymore, but I go past places that I know are just great deer hunting spots, uh, duck hunting. So that brings back some good memories. The closer Gil gets to Langford, the more places he recognizes. The thing I think that's really striking is just when you drive around in the countryside and you know you could say, well, that's where Leona Gilbert Bistadu used to live and Shetland Old Hanson and Joe and Annie too died. But those places, you know, the farmsteads are even empty or the farmsteads are gone. So that's been a big change. Memories come flooding back as Gil keeps driving. I think every small town has their characters. And I know uh, when David Planty and I talked, we talked about this one fellow who uh, was around town. We grew up named Norman Healy, and we just stopped what we were doing. And we had like a Norman Healy imitation contest. He talked like, got a cast iron stomach. Yeah. <laughs> 40 years later, it's just as funny as it was then. At the end of the day, it's the people that make Marshall County still feel like home. And it's the people that keep the school, farms, and the American dream alive in small town USA. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Successful Farming Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You'll want to stay tuned in for more episodes in this series and other projects coming soon from Successful Farming. Support for today's show comes from Whenever you're online, Successful Farming is there too. Like us on Facebook, search at Successful Farming USA to find our page. Get tips and ideas we share with people who believe in agriculture. Follow us on Twitter at Successful Farm for timely news and information from our editors. Find us on Instagram and love the latest shot of a silhouette sunset. If you're on the run, find Successful Farming on social media from your smartphone or tablet. I'm your host, Natalina Sense. Special thanks to David Ekstrom for his production work. And a big thank you to successful farming editors Gil Gullickson, Jody Hankey, Dave Kearns, and Betsy Fries for sharing their hometown experiences in this series. For photos, videos, and to read Gil's hometown story, visit agriculture.com slash hometown. <laughs>